President Trump is not thrilled with NBC News this week. NBC reported early Wednesday that Trump pushed for a major expansion of the U.S. nuclear arsenal back in July. That request reportedly prompted Secretary of State Rex Tillerson to later call Trump a moron. Trump took to Twitter on Wednesday to deny the report, calling it fake news and pure fiction. And he raised the idea of challenging NBC's broadcast license. But his comments about the media didn't stop there. At a press conference alongside Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Trump said, It's frankly disgusting the way the press is able to write whatever they want to write. And people should look into it. And then a reporter asked a follow-up question, asking, Mr. President, do you think there should be limits on what the press should write? Trump responded, No, the press should speak more honestly. I mean, I've seen tremendously dishonest press. It's not even a question of distortion, uh, like the question that was just asked before about 10 times the nuclear capability. I know the capability that we have, believe me, and it is awesome. It is massive. And so when they make up stories like that, that's just made up. And uh, the generals will tell you that. And then they have their sources that don't exist. In my opinion, they don't exist. Uh, they make up the sources. There are no sources. And alas, there's more. Wednesday night, Trump reiterated his call to strip licenses from networks. In another tweet, he said, Network news has become so partisan, distorted, and fake that licenses must be challenged and, if appropriate, revoked, not fair to public. So, naturally, that brings us to our question of the week. Can a president take steps to revoke or strip NBC's or any other broadcast network's license? This is Can He Do That? A podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. On this week's episode, we'll talk to Washington Post political reporter Aaron Blake about similar actions taken by President Richard Nixon back in the 70s. And we'll talk to lawyer Andrew J. Schwartzman about the licensing process and the limitations on both the president and the Federal Communications Commission. But first, let's revisit the president-press relationship with our very own media columnist, Margaret Sullivan. Margaret, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I'm happy to be here again. Glad to have you back. Yes. So President Trump this week took a somewhat confusing aim at the media. First, he said it's frankly disgusting the way the press is able to write whatever they want to write and people should look into that. But then later on in the same news conference moments later, he was asked, do you think that there should be limits on what the press should write? And his response there was, no, the press should speak more honestly. Which of these two responses should should carry more weight? Well, I hope the second one carries more weight. A lot of times, President Trump is blustering, and he's also speaking very impetuously. I mean, there's no way around that. He vents. You're into some very mm-hmm. dicey territory when you start saying, well, if it's not honest, then it shouldn't be on the air because I think he calls a lot of things fake news and thinks that stories or broadcasts that don't fit with his idea of how he should be portrayed are dishonest. I mean, they probably aren't dishonest. They're probably just displeasing. So then answering no, there shouldn't be limits on what the press can say, is that designed to sort of appeal to one specific portion of the country who will cling to that one and focus on that particular response? Is it designed to sort of just stir confusion or not designed at all, perhaps? (laughs) I think the latter, but he may have felt like he went too far Mm -hmm. and wanted to pull it back a little bit, or it just may have been a different moment. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very hard to say. How can comments like this, even if they're just comments, 
affect press freedoms in America? Well, they I do think that they're dangerous. First of all, they undermine the idea that this is one of our most precious freedoms. And it starts to eat away at this right of, of the news media, of the press, and of the public's free speech. It starts to cast doubt. Do we really have this or not? If the president is saying it, even if you know that it's maybe not to be taken seriously, if the president says it, you start to think, well, maybe there is a way that it can be weakened. So the president made these comments after a tweet early Wednesday morning, and that tweet said, with all of the fake news coming out of NBC and the networks, at what point is it appropriate to challenge their license? Bad for country. So that's my question to you. Is there ever a point when it is appropriate for a president to take steps to challenge a news organization or to restrict it in some way? I don't think so. I mean, I'm an absolutist on this. That's just completely contrary to what our Constitution says. Um, So, no, there is no no time at which that would be appropriate. Right. Now, the FCC can revoke licenses if a company or a particular channel behaves illegally. That's right. But that's not the power of the president so much. No. And it's notable here that really when the president speaks about limiting NBC's license, that's not even a possibility. So, It's a very unrealistic idea. It sounds scary, and it is pretty off-putting and worrisome to to hear the president saying these kinds of things, but it's not doable in the way he described it. Mm -hmm. However, you know, and, you know, I don't know whether you want to get into this, but there is a history of this. President Nixon threatened through his FCC to not renew the licenses of Florida TV stations that were owned by the Washington Post. So I did, in fact, want to get into this. And in order to do so, I turned to the Washington Post's political reporter for The Fix, Aaron Blake. Aaron spent some time digging through the Post's archives. He has more on the details of Nixon's actions in the early 70s. Here's Aaron. So it turns out that Trump's threats to revoke broadcast licenses are not, in fact, unprecedented. We saw something similar from President Richard Nixon. Explain what happened. In early 1973, there were a couple cases in Florida of people with ties to President Nixon, pretty close ties, in fact, who were challenging the licenses of a couple TV stations, one in Jacksonville, one in Miami. Those TV stations had something in common. Both happened to be owned by the Newsweek and the Washington Post Company, which was the owner, of course, of the Washington Post at the time. There was no way at the time to connect it to the president. But by 1974, we started to learn more about the White House tapes that Richard Nixon had been recording. And in one particular tape that came out, first from a House Judiciary Committee source, President Nixon is actually talking in some pretty strong details about exactly such a plan. He said the Washington Post needs to pay some damnable, damnable consequences for this. He said, now, don't they have a TV station? And then they start talking about how 
that TV station could be up for his license sometime soon. So connecting those dots after the fact, it seemed pretty apparent what had just happened, even as the White House denied that they had any involvement in these challenges to the FCC licenses of these two TV stations. But as you said, these were people who were particularly close to the president carrying out these actions. But the White House denied that it was at the behest of the president until these tapes emerged. Right. Uh, Ronald Ziegler, who was the White House press secretary in 1973 when this was going down, was asked at the time whether the man challenging the license of the of the station in Jacksonville, George Champion Jr., he was asked whether he was acting at the behest of the administration, and Ziegler actually said, no, absolutely not. That kind of strains credulity at this point. It's really hard to see how that would be the case. This would just be a, a strange coincidence that the president was talking about these things. It was actually a few months before the tape that was recorded was in late 1972. The challenges to the licenses came in early 1973. So the confluence of those two things leads one to make some pretty strong assumptions about exactly what went down. And at that point in 1972, when these tapes were recorded, how deep into the Watergate investigation was the Washington Post? It was not concluded by that point, but this was well into it. It was clear that Nixon was frustrated with the Washington Post for its coverage. He referenced the Post directly in the tape that was recorded in late 1972. So it was clear that he wanted to exact some kind of retribution against the Washington Post company. And the one form that they talked about in this particular tape, which was this part was actually redacted by the White House when they first released their transcripts, This part was referring specifically to the Washington Post, and it only talked about this particular form of retribution, which wound up being attempted several months later. So just to clarify, for him, it seems like it was specifically about retribution, not about an attempt to actually quash the story. He didn't think that by shutting down these these television stations, he could end this investigation. Well, I don't know exactly what he thought. I mean, I, I assume he would have liked both of those outcomes. But right. at this, I think at this point, it was about, you know, maybe sending a message to other people who would run these stories that this is not going to come without consequences. And we see a lot of that with, with President Trump, too. He's, you know, talking specifically about NBC News and about a story that they've already run and saying that it may require some kind of action to take away their license. That's clearly retribution. That's clearly trying to send a message to other news outlets who may run afoul of the administration and say, this is what might happen to you if you do this to me. So you've touched on this, but what do you see as the key similarities between what Richard Nixon did in the 70s and what we're seeing from President Trump now? Well, it's almost exactly the same thing. I mean, the only difference I would say here is that this is something that President Nixon was talking about behind closed doors when he thought nobody would, would wind up hearing what he was talking about. The conversation was in the White House with John Dean, with H.R. Haldeman, two of his his uh, chief advisors back then. Uh, it only came out two years later when the House Judiciary Committee, uh, a source, released it to the AP, and it wound up coming out. If there's anything that's different now, it's that the President Trump is more brazen about it and more, to- you know, talking more openly about it. I think the other difference is going to be that apparently somebody close to Nixon at least attempted to follow through on this. I would be highly surprised if the president winds up doing that. He's talked a lot about rolling back libel laws. He's talked about other ways to kind of crack down on the press that he disagrees with. We haven't actually seen him follow through on any of those threats. It's almost as if they're empty threats. Yeah. Doesn't it make you think that if we actually discovered President Trump tapes, they would in some way be the least shocking tapes of all time because he sort of live tweets everything he's thinking? If you can say anything for the president, it's that he does say what he believes. He's not afraid to 
talk about what he intends to do. He's not afraid to speculate about what he might do. So, yeah, I think you're right. We almost have a constant stream of White House tapes coming via his Twitter feed and via his public appearances and uh, at least points for transparency on this one. Yeah. Now, given that we have this historical context, should President Trump look at what happened with President Nixon and learn something from that? Well, I I think that watchers of history will remember that it didn't exactly turn out well for President Nixon. The Washington Post probably scored a victory in that particular showdown. (laughs) He did a lot of things that led to his downfall that were not related to this particular threat, of course. But I think that if there's one lesson to take away from that, it's that this strategy from Nixon was one of desperation to some degree. This was a relatively minor thing for him to attempt to do to get retribution if, in fact, he was behind it or if, in fact, his allies saw that he wanted this and took it upon themselves to do it. It's not a very uh, effective way of of sending a message, and I, I don't think it wound up dampening the Washington Post coverage. And I don't think President Trump talking about these things is going to uh, affect what NBC does or what the Washington Post does going forward. So while the president's threats are unlikely in and of themselves to change coverage, does he actually have the power to revoke or challenge a broadcast license? And if not, are there other things a president could do to limit the media's behavior that do fall within his presidential power? For those answers, we turn to Andrew J. Schwartzman. He's the Benton Senior Counselor at the Georgetown University Law Center's Institute for Public Representation. Here's Andrew. President Trump has threatened to strip broadcast licenses, essentially from news organizations who report things that he believes to be untrue or doesn't otherwise like. Generally, does the president have power when it comes to stripping broadcast licenses? Can he do that? No. While the president is not alone in his misunderstanding of these principles as a legal matter, the president clearly does not seem to understand, number one, that networks are not licensed at all. Number two, that the Federal Communications Commission, which issues licenses to broadcasters, is an independent agency. It has five members, no more than three of whom can be from any one political party, and the president did denominate one of those FCC members, uh, commissioners, to be the chairman. But that is pretty much the end of his power. He can pick the chairman from among the five sitting commissioners. But beyond that, they're supposed to be independent. They are not, depending on which political scientist you talk to, they, they are not part of the executive branch, although they exercise some executive functions. And most importantly, from a constitutional standpoint, the president cannot fire a, a member of the FCC, unlike his ability to fire a member of the cabinet or an executive branch official. So they are uh, intended to be independent. And they are independent. He cannot tell them what to do. Finally, or not finally, but, but the last major point is that as a result of the legal structure that we have and the uh, various deregulatory amendments that the broadcasting industry has put through over the years, if it were ever possible for a major broadcaster's license to be in jeopardy, it certainly is not the case now. There is no way that a 
broadcaster, uh, much less NBC, is going to lose a license. And Comcast, which owns NBC, has plenty of other issues in Washington, but no one at Comcast is losing a moment's sleep over any sense that their licenses are in jeopardy. Yeah, so let's address your first point. NBC, you say, has no overarching license. Can you explain how the licensing process works? Sure. We license television stations because they use spectrum, that is airwaves, and you have to organize the system of transmission in order to make sure there's no interference. You can have only so many stations operating at particular frequencies in particular areas, and they have to be dispersed around. So we license them to a particular channel in a particular community, and the FCC does that. And NBC owns about 28 stations overall. Its NBC stations are in the very largest markets, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, Philadelphia, and it also owns a bunch of Spanish language stations. Those stations stations are each licensed. However, the network is merely a contractual arrangement by which a company produces programming and distributes it to the stations that it owns and distributes it to other stations through contractual arrangements. And those stations we call affiliates. And the larger number of stations, which we think of as NBC stations carrying NBC programming, are actually affiliates owned by other companies. But the network itself doesn't need a license. There's nothing about a network operation that requires use of the spectrum as such. So the networks themselves really don't have license. So then is it possible to challenge the renewal of a license for these individual stations? It is theoretically possible to challenge a license. Uh, And I have spent a lot of time over many years challenging licenses. However, as a practical matter, it's technically possible, but, but the likelihood of success in challenging a license renewal approaches zero. To back up, licenses which were once three years in length are now eight years in length, so they only come up once every eight years. They are renewed in cycles every other month for three years, 18 cycles. Groups of states file their licenses. Uh, so that next three-year cycle begins in the fall of 2019. So it would be two years before a license renewal challenge could even be filed. At that point, a citizen of the community where a station serves can file a license renewal challenge. I live in Washington. I theoretically could file a challenge to a Washington, D.C. broadcaster. I could not file a challenge to a broadcaster in California. A citizen can file a challenge alleging that the broadcaster has failed to serve in the public interest. That's the statutory standard. If that were successful, uh, litigation would take five, seven, ten years, uh, and uh, during that time, the broadcaster would continue to operate. Now, when you say citizens could challenge based on something in the public interest, can you give examples of kinds of things that might present fair grounds for challenging a license? Well, today, the grounds are, are, are very, very limited. Basically, it can't be about programming as such. It would be possible to allege that there are particular needs in a community that a broadcaster has failed to serve and that no other broadcaster has adequately served. But as a result of deregulation over the years, uh, the standard for that has made it essentially impossible to bring a challenge on that basis. 
It would also be possible to challenge a broadcast license for its failure to comply with the special obligations that broadcasters have to meet the needs of children, but those are kind of quantitative requirements that there be X number of hours of programming addressed to meet the needs of children. Finally, and most significantly in terms of anything that has any real legal teeth, it would be possible to challenge a license based on allegations that a licensee lacked suitable character or fitness to hold a broadcast license. That is basically defined as having been convicted of a felony. But short of that kind of character violation and the absence of any meaningful programming issues, the license renewal process is a rubber stamp. Yeah. So I wanted to take this moment to address in the past that liberal activists have actually suggested that Fox should lose its broadcast licenses after Fox's parent company, News Corp, back in 2011, hacked into some voicemails of people it was covering. So illegal actions, as you mentioned, those can result in license revoking. But in this case, they actually didn't. So why not? Why, why didn't that work uh, against Fox? Okay. Uh, I'm going to get hyper-technical on you. Sure. Uh, there, there are two different processes. The president referred to challenge a license, and that it would involve challenging a license renewal, which, as I said, anybody can file a license renewal challenge. That could not happen until 2019. There is a separate process called revocation, the term that you used in your question. Revoking a license would be taking it away mid-license term. That process can only be done by the FCC itself. So people who complained about Fox over the Sky TV allegations several years ago wrote to the FCC and said, please revoke the license. That really had no particular legal force behind it because the FCC wasn't even obligated to respond to it. And if the FCC were to initiate a revocation proceeding, it would do so on its own and as a practical matter, the FCC never revokes licenses or tries to revoke licenses because the legal standard for revocation is so impossibly high. The only real exception when, the, when licenses are revoked is when small stations go out of business and go dark, that is, stop broadcasting, and then the FCC revokes the license so it would be available to give to somebody else. Got it. So then to your knowledge, has a broadcaster's license been revoked in the past? I don't, well, broadcasters' licenses have been revoked, as I said, if they go dark. Right. But an operating broadcaster, I don't think there has been a revocation of an operating radio or television broadcasting station for 20, 30 years, for sure. Okay, so then final point here, just in summation, the big question, can President Trump actually revoke NBC's broadcast license? No. No. He can't, and the FCC can't. Okay, Margaret, so you and I talked earlier this year about the ways in which the president was threatening freedom of the press. Some of those ways at the time were threats to move the White House press briefing room or cancel press briefings altogether. A lot of these things did not actually come to fruition. Yet at the same time, Trump still tweets about fake news on a regular basis criticizes news organizations in public. So really, in your opinion, have these risks to a free press that we've been seeing over the course of the Trump administration, have they gotten worse or do you feel that they've lessened? 
Well, you know, the one thing that has happened that I think is worth watching in terms of something real and that's not just talk is that the president has directed his attorney general, Jeff Sessions, to re-examine the way leakers are prosecuted. Mm -hmm. And that Sessions has spoken out about this and has interpreted it as, well, maybe we need to look not only at the leakers themselves, but the, those who publish the leaks. And that is a real threat. And I think it's one worth taking seriously because prosecuting journalists for doing their work, even just talking about it, could create a chilling effect. And if it became real, it really could chill press rights. Yeah. Do we know where that stands right now? Well, I think that it's been bumped to the deputy attorney general, and he has met with top people in the press and talking about the desire of these editors to maintain what was worked out during the Obama administration about subpoenaing reporters, going after reporters, and the informal rules that were worked out very painstakingly some years ago. Well, that brings us to our last question. Normally here we ask a can he do that question. You're off the hook for the big can he do that question this week. Can President Trump actually revoke licenses from NBC? We've determined here that the answer is no. But I'm going to ask you a broader question to actually bring this to a close. Do repeated anti-press proclamations from the president that are notably often not backed up by actions have enough power alone to erode the First Amendment in some way? Essentially, is something lost when Trump threatens these things, even if he can't legally act on them? Well, I, there's no black and white answer to that. I think it is something to worry about. It is something to be troubled by. I don't think that it, it has no consequences. It does have consequences because it starts to change the way the country thinks about things. It starts to sort of chip away at this right that we consider inviolate. Mm-hmm. So to that extent, it is it is something that I worry about and I think is is worth being concerned about. Mm-hmm. Great. Margaret, thank you so much for You're coming on welcome. the show. You guys can follow Margaret Sullivan on Twitter at SullyView. Or you can follow me, Allison Michaels, at Allison Mikes. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. If you liked this, please review us. Keep listening wherever it is you get your podcast and we'll keep bringing you new episodes. Speaking of new episodes, we are going to record a live one. The Washington Post and Live Nation will bring Can He Do That to a live audience at the Warner Theater in Washington, D.C. on November 7th. That's Election Day. In this live taping, political reporters Bob Woodward, David Farenthold, and Karen Tumulty will join me, Allison Michaels, to review the past year in President Trump's White House and the biggest moments that made you wonder, can he do that? Tickets can be purchased now at LiveNation.com. We're offering a free 30-day digital subscription to the Washington Post for attendees, so don't miss out on this great deal. See you there. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the incredibly hardworking Carol Alderman, with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks and logo art from Loren Boglio. like, can he do that? You should check out some of our other great podcasts. 
like Constitutional, a series about how people have framed and reframed the Constitution over time from host Lillian Cunningham. Or try Cape Up with Jonathan Capehart, where Jonathan brings you the voices you need to hear on the topics you try to avoid. You can find these shows anywhere you listen to podcasts and learn more online at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. The Washington 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 Post. Post.